Hey, everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes is a Goal podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Tanya Dalton. Who's that? I'm so glad you asked. Tanya Dalton is a best-selling author, speaker, and nationally recognized productivity expert. Her highly anticipated second book, which is called On Purpose, just came out. In addition to having her first book, The Joy of Missing Out, being named one of the top 10 business books of the year by Fortune Magazine, Tanya's podcast, The Intentional Advantage, has received millions of downloads from listeners around the world. I got to be on an episode. It was a ton of fun. Tanya is also the founder and CEO of Inkwell Press Productivity Company, a multi-million dollar company providing tools that work as a catalyst to help you achieve more while doing less. It's a really fun company. That's the official bio, which is amazing. It's a great bio. But the reason I had her on the podcast is that Tanya is someone I reach out to for advice. In fact, This coming November, we've got a call scheduled where I'm going to get some feedback from her on a new project I'm working on. That's who I invite on this podcast. People I admire, people I learn from, people who challenge me. When I bump into somebody that makes me go, oh, wow, they're really, really smart. They're really, really kind. They're really, really interesting. I should talk to them. What if I talk to them with a bigger audience? Like, What if I'm able to share that conversation? That's how I approach interviews. And I think you're going to love this episode. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Remodel Health. Navigating health benefits can be a struggle, especially for leaders who wear many different hats within their organization. Luckily, you don't have to stress about picking the perfect plan for your team. Thanks to Remodel Health, you can get tailored health benefits that fit your organization's needs. Their in-depth, personalized approach to health benefits allows you to discover more options, serve employees better, and control the cost and quality of your health benefits like never before. What's more, remodel customers save an average of 56% on health benefits. Imagine what you could do with savings like that. With their dedicated team of compassionate healthcare experts and consultants, your organization can experience better benefits while still getting the hands-on individual care your people need. Are you ready to learn how Remodel Health can help your organization provide better benefits and find bigger savings? Remodel's benefits consultants can run a health benefits analysis on your unique team to evaluate your current plan and help you find a better alternative that saves you money and better meets the needs of your people. Head over to remodelhealth.com slash analysis today to learn more about the health benefits analysis and get your personalized evaluation. And here's something really cool. You'll get 50% off by using the coupon code ACUF50. That's A-C-U-F-F-5-0. Let me spell that one out because the word analysis can be tricky. I've never once spelled that word correctly. Remodelhealth.com, A-N-A-L-Y-S-I-S. And remember, the coupon code is ACUF50. Experience better benefits and bigger savings with Remodel Health. All right, let's jump into the interview with Tanya Dalton. All right. All right. Tanya, I'm so excited that you're here. I had a blast being on your podcast. I think this one is going to be a lot of fun. I was really looking forward to talking about your brand new book and asking you a ton of questions. So first of all, thank you for joining me today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. I have been really looking forward to this. I know we're going to have a great time. We, we are. I think there's a ton of overlap. The Venn diagram of the things that you and I like to talk about and write about and speak about, I think, um, is so connected. I think there's a, there's a lot of overlap. I want to jump right in um, with a kind of a general question. Were you always so goal-focused? This is a podcast where we talk about goals. Were you always mm-hmm. so goal-focused, like you were the little kid that had a checklist at, when you were eight years old, or is it something that developed over time? Yeah. Um, did you get in your little time machine and go back and see like eight-year-old Tanya? Because yes, totally. totally like how did that, what did that look like? What did that look like? Like all your, your closet was really organized. You played office. Well, I, don't, like- I, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I, I it looked clean because I shoved everything underneath the bed. But no, I just, I've always been one of those people who loved putting things into a calendar. I loved organizing. I loved without even recognizing it or realizing it, creating systems for myself where I could could do the things I wanted to do and really accomplish a lot. Like I was always, I was the overachiever, right? Uh, recovering overachiever right here, mm-hmm. recovering perfectionist as well. Uh, and so I think that played into some of that. But, you know, I was the one who was running the the show at, at the high school and in the play and doing all those different things, running here and there. And, you know, to be honest with you, I was setting a lot of goals, but I don't know if they were really my goals or if I was setting the goals I think I was supposed to set, which is a a thing that I see that with a lot of people where it's Mm -hmm. like, we're not really sure what goals are ours. So we just set goals because that's what we think we're supposed to do. And that's what I did for a long time. Where do those other goals come from? Is it culture? Is it pressure? Is it family? You inherit, Mm -hmm. you know, a goal from a family member who didn't do the thing or your circle of friends influences. When you talk about chasing somebody else's goals with your life, where do those come from? I think it's all of the above. Honestly, it just kind of depends on your situation. But I think what we do a lot of times is we look left, we look right, we crane our necks over the fence and we're looking at where the grass is Mm -hmm. so green and we're like, ah, that's what I need to do. That's what I should be doing, right? We say we should be doing this or I'm supposed to be doing this an awful lot about ourselves. And so it can come from that, from society and and what we're seeing other people doing, that comparisonism that happens. It can sometimes come from our parents, from the things that they didn't accomplish that they really kind of want to push on us. Uh, So lots of different places. And I think a lot of the times it's because we know that we want to set goals or or that, that setting goals is a good thing, but we're not sure what goals to set. And we're not sure how to figure out what goals to set. So that's our only way of figuring that out is, well, this is what this person's doing. They're successful. Therefore, I should do the same thing. And this is why a lot of times we're not as fulfilled by our, or by our goals as we think we should be. Well, if you accomplish something that was for somebody else, it's still for somebody else. Exactly. And it's, it's yeah. not enjoyable. One of the phrases you use in your new book, On Purpose, is you talk about cathedral thinking. And the mm-hmm. idea of a cathedral comes across. And I love that. It was one of those where... As a writer, it's such a good hook. It's such a good handle. It's so sticky. It's so fantastic. I, I'd love for you to explain what you mean by cathedral to people. Thank you. Well, you know, back in, let's say, the 1200s and the 1100s, back back in the, literally back in the day, when they were building cathedrals, these beautiful, like the Duomo in Florence or uh, Notre Dame, These were these amazing cathedrals that the architects and the city planners and the builders all came together to create, knowing that it was not going to be completed in their lifetime, that they were going to be creating something that created a legacy for them and their city, and it was so much bigger than them. 
And that's really what cathedral thinking is. It's thinking bigger than today. It's looking far off into the future. I mean, you don't have to look five, six hundred years off into the future. Mm -hmm. A little shorter term is better. But looking, you know, five, 10, 20 years off into the future and saying, that's what I want to do. That's what I want my legacy to be. This is really what I'm shooting for in my life. And then we use that cathedral as a big landmark in setting our goals and figuring out what our goals need to be. What would be a cathedral for you? Oh, a cathedral for me is to one day set up a foundation for young girls about leadership. That's definitely oh, a big cathedral for me. That's great. How long have you had that one? Uh, I would say I probably had that one for the past five years or so. Really, when I started Inkwell Press, when I closed my old business and opened up Inkwell Press, I really began to see the possibilities. And that became my big vision of what would that look like if I could do this? right? What could that be like? What would that look like? So having this thing so far off in the future allows me to really make sure that everything I'm doing today and all the goals I'm setting are getting me closer to that. I love that. Do you think of that as like you're almost, you're you're placing ideas in the cathedral, knowing that, okay, at some point I'm going to develop this. I'm going to, this is going to be something I teach. It's going to be something I share. Um, do, you, do you find mm-hmm. yourself furnishing the cathedral? Yeah. Oh, I like that. Look how you took my idea and you you just made it even better. I love that. The whole idea of furnishing it. Yeah, it really is. It's because over time that cathedral, it changes a little bit and mm-hmm. it evolves and it grows just like we do. And I think that's one of the things I used to say. This was one of the dumb things I used to say. We make our plans in pencil and we set our goals in ink. And that was so dumb because goals should always be written in pencil too. We should be allowed to erase them and change them and shift them. And it's the same thing with your cathedral. It might shift and change a little bit as you're moving along life because you are shifting and growing and evolving right alongside of it. So for me, it is where it's like, you know, what does this look like, this foundation? Who would it be for? How would it uh, be implemented? Would I go through the schools? And so I go through from time to time really kind of playing with what could this potentially look like? And sometimes it shifts a little bit and changes slightly. But ultimately, that's my big that's my big dream, my big aspiration. I love that one of your cathedrals, just because we're friends, I know is dropping your son off at college. Um, that was a cathedral moment. You drop, you know, uh, like there's all yes. this preparation, this, there's all mm-hmm. this setup, there's all this parenting, there's all this excitement. And the, the book is really personal in the sense that you talk about, okay, here was a stressful situation. Or here's something that I tried in my own life. I tested it. This worked. One of those scenes is... Um, you figuring out how to silo the stress with dropping Jack off your son at college. And again, mm-hmm. I love the idea of siloing stress, you yes. know, because I think sometimes when we have a stress, it feels like an open loop. And until it's settled, I can't rest. And then when yeah. and, and we come up with these stress situations that never are settled. So how do you how do you silo stress? Yeah, I, I would venture to say stress can cause some serious soundtracks, if you will. Yeah, right? exactly. A little tie-in, a <laughs> little callback. I like there that. There you go, right? Well, this is the thing is it can feel like it, it permeates everything. And then you just feel this overwhelming feeling of stress, right? Where it's it's in every thought, it's in every moment, and we can't escape it. And it feels really, really heavy. So when it was time for us to think about Jack going to college, which is obviously something you think about for a long time, until all of a sudden, there they are, junior year of high school, and you're like, oh my gosh, here we are. Oh, oh my God, what do we, how is this going to work? What do we do? What does this mean? And you're learning all these new things. There's all kinds of financial terms you're figuring out. There's the application process. 
it's a lot and it's overwhelming and it can feel really, really stressful. So I found that for us, we were thinking about the application process and, okay, we need to take the SATs and do we need to do the test prep and how do we figure out which colleges to go to? And it just starts piling on. And I was finding that I was stressing myself out thinking about it all the time. And I mean, if I'm honest here, I was totally stressing Jack out because I would like kind of, you know, jump around the corner and be like, hey, have you gotten that application done? Hey, yeah, have you, asked, yeah. you, know, you don't seem stressed like, enough. Can I ratchet that up for you a little bit? You seem just, like you had a calm day. Let me get a yeah. sheen of sweat on you. Oh my gosh. As if it's not stressful enough trying yeah. to pick out the college. Here yeah. I am like, you know, bombarding this poor kid with, you know, have you done this? Have you done that? And so I made this decision for our family that we were going to silo the stress. Instead of being stressed out seven days a week, what if we chose a day? That that was our day to stress about college. We're going to take all that stress and we're just going to push it into one day. And for us, it was Thursday nights. So it was like, okay, anything that we want to talk about college-wise, whether that was application process or which colleges he wanted to look at or going to visit colleges, was discussed on Thursday nights. If something came up on a Monday, we would say, nope, we're going to talk about it on Thursday. And what I found started to happen is I stopped stressing so much. If something would pop into my head, while I was at work about college, I'd write it down. I put it in my planner for Thursday night. Okay, I got to talk to Jack about these things. And I started compiling questions. And what was great was not only did it alleviate my stress, but it really allowed him to take ownership over the whole process. Because first of all, he knew when we were going to talk about college mm-hmm. nights, right? We called it college night was what it was called. Which Thursday is way night, better than like night. stress fest or something. College stress night's way fest, better. yes. Branding wise, it's better. I mean, this is good marketing right here. That's how I sold them on it. Like, this is college night. College night. There could be pizza rolls involved. It sounds nice. (laughs) It does. Uh, Yeah, there's generally dessert involved if there's some stress. That's good for a teenage conversation. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's good for the mom as well, I have to be honest. So what what I would do is we would talk about college night on Thursday night. So we would sit down on Thursdays. We would talk about at first, we would talk about where do you think you want to go? And he was like, I have no idea. So that was Mm -hmm. a stress. And I was like, okay. Well, this week, let's explore three colleges each week for the next 10 weeks. So he would explore three colleges. So he had all the way until next Thursday. I wouldn't check in on him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, ask him how it was going. I would just say, okay, don't forget Thursday night's college night. That's all I would say. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Very gentle. Perfect. And so he would explore three colleges and that's how he began to figure out where he wanted to go. And then we would talk about it Thursday night and then we'd set up what he was going to do for the next week. So much easier. Yeah, so I, I, I love that. And it gives your brain the comfort that, hey, you don't have to worry. I got it. Like you're because I think your brain is going, yes. hey, if I don't talk to you about this constantly, you might drop the ball. And if you say, no, 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 right. Thursday night, we have like Thursday nights right here in the planner. It's going to happen. I think it's one of those techniques, tips, tools, advice that gives your brain a little bit of pause to go. Okay, I tend to not trust you very much, but in this case, I'm going to try out this. this, I'm (laughs) going to trust this college night thing. Well, I was going to say, it just allowed you to feel like it wasn't going to fall through the cracks because I didn't want it to wait till the last minute. Then it was going to be stress fest. You know, it was Mm going to be a full, it was going to be stress con. It's bigger than stress fest. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's probably right. I mean, cosplayers and all the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for me, it really allowed me that level of ease of feeling like we got this. We're in control of this. And let me go ahead and give you some of that control, Jack, so that you can go and start adulting a little bit. It's a good way to baby step your kids into adulting. I I love that. And I I think, again, it gets back to something I love about the way you communicate ideas is that 
there's hooks, there's handles, there's buckets. There's, there's a lot of people that have a lot of ideas, but they never frame them in a way that somebody can take them with them. And so, you know, siloing stress is an example, cathedral is an example. Even what you just said a couple of minutes ago about dumb things I used to say. Like, that's a really mm -hmm. smart, hooky, like, I can see that as a blog post. I can see that as a book chapter. So I'm curious, what's another dumb thing you used to say? And I'll oh, share one you, of mine if you can't think of a, sec, of a second one. Maybe you only yeah, have one you, dumb thing. Do you thing. have all day? I know. <laughs> well, what's something? Okay, maybe it's, I, I, maybe it's something you've, I'll give you one of mine. Okay. I wrote in a book, like, and I wish I could go back and edit this out of the book because it was dumb. Mm -hmm. That lucky is a word people who are lazy use to describe people who are hustling. And I acted like lucky doesn't oh. exist. It 100% exists. Luck, yes. you can use whatever you word you want for it. You don't control everything. And the idea mm -hmm. that like, if I work hard enough, I control my luck. I believe that you create more opportunities. I believe that like, I, you know, people find mm -hmm. my work because I'm sharing my work. All that hustle matters, all that matters. But it's so arrogant to say luck doesn't exist. Like that's one that like that's a dumb thing. And I see right. people tweet it because they're like, he's right. I'm like, no, I'm wrong. Oh, you're like, no, 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 take it down. Take, take it down. down. <laughs> so like, what's another thing for you that you go, you know what? Now that I'm older, now that I've I've helped a thousand people or whatever, I see this is something that's true that I used to not know was true. Yeah, now that I'm so wise and all-knowing, yeah, yeah, which is what yeah. I try to tell my kids Just all the time. Smart. I'm really super wise smart. and all-knowing. The only kind of people I have on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, good. I'm glad I made no the dumb dumbs. That's actually in our contract. No dumb. Oh, dumbs. I didn't. I didn't notice that. Good thing well, you signed it, that. so maybe you're gonna <laughs> want to read. It's like Apple. We have a long service agreement. So hope you're ready. Yeah, I'm locked in. So too bad. Yep. Um, well, here's something I used to say to my kids all the time that I now regret is always put others first. Yeah. And I did that because I felt like we should always be thinking of others, right? Yeah. Always think of others, and, and I stand behind the fact that we should be thinking of others. But we don't need to always put others first. It's okay to put yourself first. And when we put ourselves first, oftentimes we're able to take better care of everybody else around us. But I worry because now I go back in my little Marty McFly time machine and I go back and I rewind the thing. And I'm like, oh, God, how many times did I say that to my kids? Like, always oh, yeah. put others first. Always put others first. Always. And I'm like, so now I've been telling my kids like, hey, listen, I was wrong. That yeah. was not a smart thing to say. I recognize that in my own life, that I was putting others first. I was putting my own goals and dreams on hold. I wasn't going after the things I wanted to because I felt like I was supposed to put everybody first. And there's nothing wrong with thinking of other people. It's just they don't always have to be first. There's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself and your own needs. So, uh, yeah, that was one that's that a, I had on repeat. Yeah, that's a, that's good, a good one. one. That's a good one. And I think that the challenge with that one is, it turns into, if you're not careful, never have boundaries. You know what I mean? Like it's one oh, where like, you go like make, make sure you never have boundaries. Whatever you do, put other people first, never <laughs> have boundaries. And that's yeah. part of being a parent. Somebody on, on a parenting podcast asked me, they're like, hey, how do you parent in a way that your kids don't require counseling? I was like, you don't. Next question. Like they, yeah. they're going to. My kids are for college and yeah. save for therapy. You do they're it at the same time. You just, yeah. I mean, this they're is the 100%. thing. It's funny because now my kids are older. As you mentioned, Jack just went to college just a few weeks ago. Kay, my daughter is in ninth grade. So she just started high school. And I've been having these conversations with them about, listen, we are humans. I know I've said dumb things to you. I know there are things that I have said that have hurt your feelings or offended you. And I probably don't even know what they are. So just tell me when those things happen. I'd much rather us talk it out because 
I'm human and I need you to recognize that I'm fallible, that I'm not perfect and I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm not trying to be perfect, but I'm doing my best. And so I think that's an important thing to say. Yeah. Perfectionism, um, because mm-hmm. there's a you know in kind of the list of things you talk about often, perfectionism. There's procrastination, paralysis, but one is unraveling the myth of the multi-passionate person. So I, oh, I'd yeah. love to hear mm-hmm. you speak a little <laughs> bit into the myth of the multi-passionate person. Well, let me ask you a question, John. Let's just turn this interview right right around to you. Sure. Right. First of all, I got the dumb things that you said. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Tell me. What is the one and only thing that you love? What is the, there's one thing in this world, right? Only one. Is it, What's the one thing? Um, helping orphans, probably. Like washing <laughs> orphan feet. Creating like that's what peace. I. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> world peace, feeding, feeding people that don't have. You practice that. your yeah, beauty yeah, pageant. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, like that's helping war-torn things. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing is we're, we're all passionate about multiple things. So claiming that you're multi-passionate is just an excuse that we hide behind. It's a it's a lie that we tell that that's like, oh, well, I can't move forward because there's so many good things. There's so many amazing things that I love. And we use that as a way to hold ourselves back, to keep ourselves small. When it's okay to be multi-passionate, it's okay to love lots of things. In fact, go love lots of things. That's an amazing thing to do. But you need to choose one or two that maybe you love a little bit more. We just need to choose uh, to focus in, right? How many do you think people can, I mean, I need an exact number um, for all humans at one time. 32. So, 32? That's what, yeah. I somebody don't want to ask the questions. <laughs> somebody asked me how many thoughts until, and I was like, 11. What, like, what are you, what are you talking about? But okay, <laughs> roughly, roughly, passions. Because I have yes. the same, people say to me, I have mm-hmm. 10 things I want to do. I can't figure out how to prioritize them or pick them. So I just won't do any. They never say that second part. They just do that right. second part. They never pick any. Right. In your experience, if somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, I have so many passions. I have 10 mm-hmm. things. And they're all equal. They all tied oh, for yeah. first all, all place. Are- they're all <laughs> yes. tied for first place. It was the craziest race. What do you say to that person? How do you help them? Well, if I'm talking to them about business, I say Amazon started with books. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. This is why your stuff is so good. I'm done here. We're done. Ah, man. So (laughs) good. But it's true. Amazon is this amazing place where you can get anything you want, but they started with books. So it's okay to love lots of things. And it's okay to eventually, if maybe your cathedral down the line is having lots of things that you're doing. But Beyonce was a singer first, right? I mean, all these people, look at these people who've done amazing things. They started with one thing and then you expand. So you do the one thing, you get good at that, you yep. set it up so you're feeling really good and it's going on a little bit of, little bit of momentum. Is, momentum is there. And then you're like, you know what? Let's add something else in. Not five things in. Let's add one yeah. more thing in. That's going well. Then we add another thing in and we just start adding to our, you know, to our load, to our backpack. And then there you have it. I love that approach. I always tell people pick item four or seven. And they go, well, how do you know what they are? And they say, it doesn't matter. Like, fine, pick three or five. Just pick one. Like, Right. Just pick one. Yeah, do but that. But here's do the, the problem work. is, you know, you say you pick number four or seven and people are like, well, I, I haven't even listed them out. So that's yeah. the big question. Have you even taken stock of what it is you really love? And then do you really love them? There's a whole exercise we go through in the book where it's like, all right, you say you love these things. Let's figure out which one you love the most. And we walk through how to do that. Because most times people haven't really taken the time to write it down. 
because we're using it as this excuse, this giant thing of multi-passion that is holding us back. Well, and that's one of the things I really liked about the book is that you mentioned exercises. It's packed with exercises. It's beautifully illustrated. Mm -hmm. That's my problem always with books sometimes that are goal setting books is that they're fuzzy. They don't give you, they're, they're kind of like, here, you figure this out. Like they don't you have, you can do it, right? You can, you do, can it. do it. You go, what? Like, like, you can, but how, but how that, it's a Tuesday. What? I have twin toddlers. Like, what does that even right. mean? How did you kind of formulate and come up with the exercises? Cause I know they weren't for the book. I know that they were done over time working with people, mm-hmm. but as you start to figure out the book, how do you decide, okay, well, this is going to be helpful, or this is going going to challenge somebody, or this is going to encourage somebody? Yeah, well, you I'm sure you're like me, where you write out all the things that you want to talk about in the book, and then you have to like edit, edit, edit. Yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> so it really, for me, was really figuring out what are the most impactful things. Like, there's mm-hmm. lots of different ways I could show you how to do things, or there's lots of different challenges people have, but what are the ones I see most often? when I'm talking to people, what are the things that I, I feel are light bulbs for people that when they do it, they're like, Oh, that's uh, what I, I'm looking for that moment. Oh, yeah. oh right. Because yeah. the thing is to, and here's the thing is I want it to be really simple to do. I don't think it really helps you to have this overly complex system that you're trying to figure out because then you're just like, forget it. Right. So there's a couple of, of guidelines that I have to use. It has to be really simple to do. It has to be something that I feel like is not going to take you 30 years to to finish up, yeah, right? Yeah, by the because time you're 60, you'll understand this. Then you're going to know what you're passionate yeah. about. And you're like, yeah, well, exactly. now I'm ready to retire. So yep. thanks for that. That's not helpful. Thanks. So, not helpful at all. So really, those are some of the things I look for. But what is really going to move the needle the most? That's how I choose. And I feel like I could pack it full of exercise after exercise after exercise, but that would be a workbook. And I want it to feel fun. I want it to feel light. I want it to to have stories in it where you can see how I've done this, how other people that I know or have worked with have done this, and, and really be able to apply it. Ultimately, at the end of the day, anytime you read something of mine or you listen to a podcast episode or, or, or interact with me in any way, I want you to feel like, okay, I'm inspired and I know what to do next. I never want someone to close the cover of the book and go, that was great. Now what do I do? Right? Yeah. I guess I'll go read another book. And it's like, no, let's go do the thing. Let's mm-hmm. go do the thing you're ready to do. And here's the tools to be able to go do it. Well, that I think you've 100% achieved that. And I think folks are going to see that when, when they read the book. I'm curious for your own life, what is your, you know, it's a week in the life of you and planning wise? Like, are you a Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon? I'm planning things. It's Monday morning. I, you know, I touch my calendar X amount of times. What? Cause you're very deliberate about that. You, you are very intentional, so sure. intentional mm-hmm. about that. What is a average is the wrong word because every week is a little different, but I think there's less surprises in the week than we like to admit, but what's a week look like for you? Yeah. Do you want me to tell you exactly how many times you need to touch your calendar? No, I mean, maybe I need to buy a calendar first. (laughs) Maybe I wanted to know exactly how many times people in Ohio, specifically Ohio, this is not for Indiana. This is Ohio people. Dayton specific or just Columbus? Sorry, Columbus. I don't don't know anything about Dayton. Yeah, it's Columbus. (laughs) No, but so walk me through. And it's kind of the question. I think Seth Godin always says it's like asking Stephen King what kind of pencil he uses, which like he's Stephen (laughs) King. Like you can have all the pencils. Dude, it ain't working. Um, But the way you approach life is really deliberate. And I think it'd be really encouraging to people. And there'd be some tips in there. So walk us through. Absolutely. So I start off and I do do a process. I call it the five P's 
Uh, the first step is P, purging. So mm-hmm. I purge and I get things out of my head and onto a sheet of paper. So I do that twice, actually, in the week. I do it on Sunday with my family, mm-hmm. and I call that team planning. So we plan together as a family where we're mapping out what's going on during the week, who's got soccer practice, who has play practice, what major projects they have going on. I have my kids list that out themselves, like what projects they have going on and what milestones they need to hit for that week. They make those decisions. I'm trying to Mm -hmm. teach my kids how to goal set. Um, And then we we post that in the house and then they are responsible for their things. So it's public. Oh, yeah. It's yep. totally public. Like it's up. They're in charge of checking it mm-hmm. off. They're in charge of making sure they're getting their chores done on whatever day and all of that. Uh, but then I also do it on Mondays for work. So I keep them very intentionally separated. I compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. Home takes place on Sunday with my family. And then work takes place on Monday morning. So I sit down. I do the purge. I just list out. I don't worry about prioritizing. I just get it out of my head and onto the sheet of paper. And then what I do is each day I do processing. That's the second P. I process the list and I figure out what can I accomplish for that day. The key here is that I don't map out on Monday what I'm doing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I map out on Monday what I'm doing Monday. On Tuesday morning, I figure out what I'm doing on Tuesday. I do that because when we map out our whole week at the start of the week, what happens is Monday's great. Monday's fabulous. Tuesday hits and it's a nightmare right? You have allergies. You had a sick kid crawl into bed. Tuesday, you're behind the eight ball. And if you've already mapped out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's no surprise that Wednesday, you feel like you're already behind before you get out of bed. And then Thursday, it becomes a traffic jam. So plan each day as it comes. Treat each day as a new opportunity and a gift that you can choose what you're going to do. And so then the third P is to prioritize. I don't do a to-do list. I do a priority list. So I prioritize and I go through three categories in my priority list and I put down what I can actually accomplish for that day. So I generally have no more than five or six things on my list of what I'm going to accomplish for that day. Okay. And then I do the fourth P, which is protect. So then I block it into my calendar and ah, I map out when I'm going to do, right? Well, I'm going to yep. map out what I'm going to do. And mm-hmm. then, and only then do I bother checking my email because I don't want anyone else's priorities popping into my calendar before mine. When so, you've done the other things? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So, so you don't, don't you don't have an email drip going where like a lot of people, it's like, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking on email all day. No, I check email four times a day. Okay. I check email um, after I do my planning for the day. I check it around lunchtime, yep. once around mid-afternoon. And like 2 a.m. in, in a panic? 2 a.m. in the middle of the night in no, a panic? No, not, You don't no. do that one? Because you know what? Okay. At 2 a.m., all that's going to happen is there's going to be some, there's going to be some stress in there. And yeah, that's not exactly. siloing any stress. <laughs> Right so bef- after you plan or before you plan your day, lunchtime, no, after I plan my day, after you plan, I, your plan day. I plan my day first before I let other people's fires gotcha. come into my calendar so I can map out and protect my time. Lunchtime. And then I can pop. Yes. Lunchtime. And then What's, mid-afternoon yep. and then early evening. Gotcha. Okay. That's the, that's the fourth P protect. What's the fifth P? Propel. So Propel. at the end of the day, I do a little exercise for myself. That's five minutes long. I spend one minute writing down what I accomplished for the day. Because we forget all the good we've done, right? We're so busy thinking about all the things we didn't do. We don't take time to celebrate. So one minute to celebrate, then one minute to check in. How did I feel about today? Did I put too much on my plate? Did I feel really stressed out? Do I need to adjust what I'm doing each day? Mm -hmm. Am Am I giving myself too many things on my priority list? Third minute is for checking in with how I work today towards a goal. If I do one small step every single day, even if it's a tiny step towards a goal, I'm going to be there before before you know it, right? Mm -hmm. And then minute four is for gratitude. 
three things I'm grateful for specific to that day. And I try to be as specific as possible. Uh, and then minute five is getting ideas out of my head and onto paper of what I think I'd like to accomplish for tomorrow. I'm not planning tomorrow. I'm just getting it out of my head and onto the paper so that then as I move into what I call my home compartment, I picture mm-hmm. it as like opening one door and closing another one, right? Yeah. As I'm moving into my home compartment, all those work things I'm not thinking about anymore because what I've done is I've left that sheet of paper right there on top of my planner where I'm going to see it the following day. And then before I do my planning, before I do my processing each day, I look over, I celebrate my accomplishments from the day before. I see, okay, you know what? I probably need to put less on my plate because yesterday was really stressful. Mm-hmm. I look at what I did to accomplish a goal. I remember my gratitude. And then I have a little bit of water in my well. That's an Ernest Hemingway quote. Always leave a little water in your well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. I have a little water in my well to know, okay, oh, you know what? Yesterday, I, I remember I needed to do these things. So I'm going to go ahead and pop those into my planner for today. So that's I- in a nutshell, really quick overview of how I do my week. Somebody listening to this right now is probably going to, their two pushbacks are going to be like, I have grumpy teenagers. So how did you get your teenagers? Oh, did I have they grumpy gr- teenagers. I know, but like the, <laughs> the thought of like, there's definitely parents that are like, I can't see my teenager. So how did, mm-hmm. like, how did that process happen? Did you start them when they were young and now they're just growing into it? The second is, does that take nine hours? Because I know it doesn't. But I think when you hear no. something like a five-step, they go, I just don't have time for that. Like that sounds really, like really long. How did you get your teenagers involved and how well, only, do, how fast is it? Yeah, the only part that I do with my teenagers is the the Sunday. first P, the purging, yeah. where we get it all out on paper. And then mm-hmm. I set my kids up with planners and then I will check in from time to time. Like, hey, let me take a look at your planner. How's that going? And because I really believe we have to create our own systems, right? Yeah. Um, so the family... I hate to call it family planning. It sounds like we're planning pregnancy, but the yeah, hey, you do whatever. It's weird denim skirts. I get it. You guys, li- you live right, in the mountains. Matching. I know yes, you live in the mountains, so you're turning butter right now. We're not going to use this video, but you can't see that Tanya's yeah, turning I mean, butter in the back. Or you got to multitask. I, have, I get I'll it. I'll send you. I'll send you a little pat of butter in the mail, John. <laughs> yeah, exactly. hopefully, hopefully She's plucking last. a chicken in this interview. It's weird, but the chicken seems pretty quiet. It's a little odd, but we have yeah. things to do. So. It works. It works. Um, but I, I started this process with my kids when they were younger. So really, mm-hmm. we did this. We did that whole process of like sitting down on Sundays before my kids could even read. We would draw pictures and we would uh, put oh, clip art good. and things like that for it. Uh, so which now people will say, well, my kids are already like 12, 13, 14. So it's too late. Not too late. Yeah. Not too late. The thing is, is you make it fun. So when, you know, what I recommend people do is if this is something new for your family, make it enjoyable. So when I'm trying to do something like a family meeting and we're trying to implement something new, we'll do like pizza picnic on the floor in the living room. We'll do something that we don't normally do, or we'll plan something fun that we're going to do right afterwards as a, hey, we're going to go do X, Y, and Z. So let's do this first. And then that gives us a container of time too, which I think is really important. I'm really big. I talk about containers a lot. There's a start time and an end time because Otherwise, the end time kind of can drift on and on. And, right. Yeah. Right. So with my kids, it's just one of those things where we sit down and we're like, all right, Sunday afternoon at some point. It's not necessarily a set time because I have teenagers, so they have social lives and things like that. Mm-hmm. Sometime before dinner, we sit down and it probably takes us a total of 15 minutes at this point. Yeah. So do. we're not talking. It's a not. It's not like. No. Mapping 15 out, minutes. Like, I'm like, yeah. tell me what you have going on this week. We pop it into the into the notepad. Then, all right, what's going on with your projects? What are your major projects? They list them out. And if they don't know, I'm like, dude, you don't know what's going on at school? Like, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I know you have major projects. Now you get, now you got (laughs) to go get in power school and now you got to pull, but I put the, I make them really accountable for it. Our, our goal. I mean, I just sent my son to college. The whole point of parenting is not so that they will stay in our nest. It's so that we can push them out of our nest and they soar. And so they're successful. Mm. And I think it's really important to put the onus on our kids. You're raising adults. You're not raising kids. You're raising adults. We say that all the time at the Acuff house. Absolutely. I love that. So a word you've used a couple of times is systems. So let's say I come Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. I've never had a system. I, you know, uh, my personality. You just don't know it. You know, I walk in, I'm listening to you. I don't have a system. How do I start a system? It's really easy because the truth Mm -hmm. is you do have systems. Uh, I want you to think about when you get dressed in the morning, do you think about putting on the deodorant? Do you have to think about how you put the toothpaste on the toothbrush? Do you have to think about how you brush your teeth? Systems is just habits stacked one after the next. It's just habit stacking. So that's really what we have with our morning routine is a series of habits that we're doing automatically without thinking. That's what a system is. Systems just sounds a little fancier, right? Sounds a little more official. Mm. But what I would tell people to do is if you're looking to start implementing a system, if you're looking to start really creating some intentional habits, habit stack off of things that you're already doing. So like, let's say you really want to start your morning with some meditation time Mm. and journaling. Okay, what's a habit that you're already doing in your morning? Well, for most people, you're getting up and you're going over to the coffee pot and you're getting your coffee in the morning, right? Okay, that's Mm -hmm. something you do without thinking. So what can you do? Well, you could leave your journal right there, right next to the coffee pot. So that way you pour yourself your coffee. You're like, here's my journal. All right, I'm going to go sit down and Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write out my journal. And then wherever you're doing your journaling, leave your app with your, you know, meditation app on your phone ready to go. So that then after you journal, then you stack on top of that. And so you just create a series of habits one after the next. And that's really what a system is. Simple, and then you simple. expand from there. You expand and from you just there. Expand. As you, yep. Once you establish a habit, then you build on that. And the truth is, is, you know, a lot of times, especially with goals, we like to say that we're not disciplined enough. Oh, I just don't have the self-discipline. I just, I just don't have the willpower. You don't want willpower. You don't really want discipline. I mean, it sounds nice. But in real life, do you really want to be one of those people who like eats tuna straight out of the can because you're like really disciplined with your workouts and you only, right? It has to taste terrible. It needs to be watery. Right. I equate it for me. Like I have all these uh, white couches that I have on Pinterest, like these like living Mm. rooms with white couches where I'm like, oh, it looks so nice. And then I remember I have two kids. We like movie night where we eat popcorn on the couch. We have a dog and a cat. Yeah, white couch sounds like a nightmare. So it looks nice on paper, but I would hate it. Same thing with discipline. And really all discipline is, is a series of habits that you intentionally stack one after the next so that you're doing these healthy things for yourself, these things that really nurture you and nourish you on a regular basis. That's what discipline is. How do you turn off? Tell me downtown. You know, you said you're a recovering high achiever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're high performing. You have an amazing, like you have a, an amazing schedule. How do you rest? How do you turn off? What does that look like? Oh, well, again, it's really intentional for me. Mm-hmm. I do meditation several times a day. And that when I started doing meditation, that was a full game changer because I was one of those people who told myself the story that I couldn't turn my brain off. I could never meditate because I could never turn my brain off. So I just started with like deep breathing for like two minutes. 
I was like, okay, I can do that. And then I built it from there. And then we went to three minutes. Then we went to five minutes. Then I could do 10 minutes. And so meditation is one of the ways that I do it. But I actually, I think it's really important when you're sitting down. So part of that process of me mapping out my day and protecting, one of the things I protect is downtime. I intentionally will put in things like I'm going for a walk. I am going to sit outside. I am going to just uh, enjoy sipping a, a glass of, of tea in the afternoon. I am going, I'll put that into my calendar. I it will won't schedule happen joy. No, otherwise yeah. it's, you have to, oh, I have so many things to do. There's no time for that. And there's always time for that because when we make time for ourselves, we're able to do better things. In my first book, I said, you know, we think of rest as a reward for great work. But rest is a requirement for great work to happen. Ah, that's so good. It's that's but it's so, so true, good. right? Yeah, when we true. rest, we come back better. We come back with more ideas. And honestly, our brain is working the whole time anyways. That's why our best ideas happen in the shower or while we're driving yeah. in the car. Our brain is still thinking about it. So for me, it really is, especially big being outside. I'm really mm -hmm. big at having outside time. I will walk back and forth to the mailbox at the office uh, several times, not because there's more mail coming or I'm excited about what's coming in the yeah. mail, but just to be outside. So that's really very, very important for me. And so I make sure that I put that into my planner and I schedule that in because otherwise it's really easy to say, I don't have time for that. Otherwise it's not going to happen. I, I love happen. that. I love that. So my two last questions. One, what's the book you've given away more than any other book other than one that you've written? Okay. Well, I was going to say, yeah, the joy of missing out. <laughs> yeah. Joy of you missing out, which the cover was brilliant. If you're like, I love Thank the you. cover. I told you that the last time I talked to you, but other than your own, cause I have like a trunk full of them, like MC Hammer. Like if somebody sees me in the streets <laughs> and goes, hi, John Acuff, I'm like, oh, I got a book in my pocket. Oh, what? guess what? What? Well, I didn't even know I had this. Here. You want an autograph, Cheryl? Oh, right here. Um, I just happened yeah. to have one in my, in my pocket. Who my knew? pocket but, of my jeans. <laughs> exactly. My dungarees um, is what I call them. But, oh, dungarees. That's a, yeah, I just, that's that's a classier word. I have to yeah, say. Yeah, it's classier. A little bit. I don't know if I'd use the word classier there, but uh, well, okay. Well, let's not be judgy. Let's not end this in judgment. We've had a pretty good conversation um, so far. Uh, <laughs> we were going so well for so it was. long. <laughs> we were on track. We were on track. But a book you've given away more than any other book other than your own. Mm, that's a really good question. I have given away um, Think and Grow Rich. Many, oh, many nice. Because I feel nice. like that's really a book that changes how you feel about mind over matter. That really is how your brain works and that most of life happens between your ears. Oh, that's a great one. Did you, have you encouraged your kids to read any nonfiction books? Like, are there? Yes, I do. Okay, but they like, haven't had the joy be... of missing out. So weird. They don't read my books. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> kids are very, when people are like, how do you stay humble? I'm like, you have kids. They're not impressed. Yeah, people are, are like, not... are your kids just so, just so proud of you? I'm like, no, they're like, what's for dinner? That's yeah, what yeah, no. <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll come home from speaking trips and they'll go, you were gone. And I'll go, I was, I was in Indianapolis. Like I slept oh. in a different bed last <laughs> night and they go, oh, cool. I, I had band practice. I guess we both cool. did things. Yeah, I guess so. I love the way you parent. I love the way you write. I think a ton of people are going to be helped by your book. So last question, where can people find out more about you? Yes. Well, I think the best place to find me is at tanyadalton.com. You can find links to my podcast, The Intentional Advantage there. Uh, you can also find links to my books, The Joy of Missing Out, and the newest book, of course, On Purpose. Uh, and there's all kinds of videos that I have there. I actually have videos where I walk through what that team planning looks like with your family. I have those on YouTube. Uh, so lots of ways that you can integrate a lot of these things that we talked about with your kids and your family. I think it's really important to bring in your team 
And remember that you have a team at work and a team at home, and it's important to lean on them. Well, this has been super fun for me. I think, again, we have the same, like, same literary agent. We travel in a lot of same circles, and I really respect how you live what you write about. So by the time a book comes out, you've already tested it. You've already tried it. You've already honed it. You've already shared it with so many people. And it's it's not just, here's a good idea. It's, here's a result of trying this and doing this and living this. And here's a better, different way that might encourage you to. So I, I love your approach there. So honored you. that you're on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Well, I am honored to have you as my friend. And I feel exactly the same about you and the way that you write. So this has been fabulous. Thanks so much for having me on the show today. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to do it again. Thanks. Congrats Definitely, on the book. I'd love that. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my interview with Tanya Dalton today. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. When your podcast is newish, I'm going to have to stop saying that in 2022. I'm going to have to be like, when you're an old timer like me, when you've got a whole year under your belt, but I'm not there yet, it's still pretty newish. And the reviews are so, so critical. They're super important. So please make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is that the kids are saying these days. And please write a review. Last but not least, big thank you once again to our sponsor, Remodel Health. Visit RemodelHealth.com analysis. That's RemodelHealth.com slash analysis and get 50% off by using coupon code ACUF50. That's A-C-U-F-F-5-0. That's it for this week. I'll see you next Monday. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast. <laughs>